Um, this morning, we are going to be looking at the unrivaled joy that is ours in Christ. And we're going to be looking at that um, from Luke's gospel, um, from the first chapter of Luke. Um, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn there. It's printed in your bulletin, and I believe it's also going to be on the screen. Um, we'll be reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 55. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Lord, may the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. I read an article this week called Joy Has Fallen on Hard Times by a man named Scott Thibodeau. And he writes that most of us who are adults have been around long enough to know that the American dream is just that, a dream. It's a dream that has delivered momentary pleasure that doesn't last. It doesn't last. Its lack of permanence seems to stem from the fact that the sharp needle of reality perpetually pops the dream with our lived frustrations and disappointments and hardships and longings and laments. And even the richest, the most famous, the most powerful among us find lasting joy remarkably elusive. Mark Twain, in this vein, wrote the following. He said, fame is a vapor, popularity is an accident, and the only earthly certainty is oblivion. The result is that we don't believe that a joy-filled life is possible. Henry Nouwen um, wrote that many people have more or less accepted life as a prison and are grateful for every occasion that creates the illusion of the opposite. I'll read that again. Many people have more or less accepted life as a prison and are grateful for every occasion that creates the illusion of the opposite. And this acceptance has led to a split in many of us. And we offer the world this illusion. Our public face has the smile lines of joy, 
But privately, many of us are lonely and suffering, perpetually distracting ourselves from our own plight. Maybe you know someone for whom this is true. Maybe this is true for you. The distance between the face you present to the world and the private prison you secretly indwell has been so great, you don't believe they could ever reunite. And frankly, you spend so much time distracting yourself from this, you can't even begin to imagine what a reunion would look like, more or less, true joy. But the desire is still there, right? We still long for this true joy. So we're going to see in this passage, I want us to see three things or rather to answer three questions. Um, Where does joy come from? How do we get it? And what is this joy? So first, where does joy come from? Joy comes from outside of us. Joy comes from outside of us. Um, Last week, I saw the new Rocky movie. I love Rocky movies. Um, Saw in the theaters Creed. I don't know if y'all have seen this yet. Um, It was awesome. Um, And the mantra of that movie, the mantra of that movie that's repeated is, if I'm going to get joy... I've got to produce it. It has to come from inside of me. And so the movie is the story of Adonis Creed, who is the son of the greatest boxer of all time, Apollo Creed. And he's working to produce his own joy. And this story is not unfamiliar to us. And Hollywood has gotten so good at telling us good stories. And so we jump from narrative to narrative getting brought inside of these stories and believing that we can produce our own joy. I left that movie thinking, seriously, left that movie thinking that I need to join a boxing gym. Um, Like, I knew, I was like, all right, I'm not going to be a world-class boxer. I'm 31. I'm not going to be a world-class boxer. Um, But maybe I'd have joy if I looked like that with my shirt off, Um, which I don't. Um, And I wish I could say this is the only movie that this has happened to me for, but uh, it actually happens every time I go to the movies. Um, so as this is, this is what I thought leaving the most recent movies I've seen. See if you can guess what movies I've been to. I will have joy if I join a marauding car gang in a post-apocalyptic wasteland in order to save the world from a corrupt, paternalistic tyrant. Right? I will have joy if I join a college a cappella group. Um, <laughs> I will have joy if I go to Mars, get left behind, survive on my own, return to Earth, and go to NASA to be a professor. Um, Like, I'm only sort of kidding when I say these things. Um, These are all stories, and then what we do with these stories is we place ourselves inside of them, right? We do this with the movies. We do this with the American dream. We do this with all sorts of things. We put ourselves in the driver's seat and say, I will have joy if I do X. Right? We do this all the time, and it's this insidious lie that the joy that we long for has to come from inside of us. But real joy doesn't come from inside of us. Real joy comes to us from outside of ourselves. Our passage opens with Mary. Mary is a virgin. She's engaged to be married to Joseph. She's poor. She's from an out-of-the-way out rural town. And she's visited by the angel Gabriel who tells her that she is going to have a son and that his name will be Jesus. And this Jesus is going to sit on the throne of King David, and his kingdom will never end. And her response is, how is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the angel then tells her that her much older cousin, Elizabeth, who is barren, is six months pregnant. And Mary responds in faith. 
I believe you. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Now, if you can imagine this scene, Mary, a teenager, is given the most unbelievable news of all time. And she goes to her cousin Elizabeth. Maybe she knocks on the door. Elizabeth, are you home? And when Elizabeth hears her, her baby, John, jumps in her womb. And is filled with the Holy Spirit. She cries out with joy and she blesses Mary. And we have this funny little scene that is both literally and figuratively pregnant with joy. We have this pregnant old lady, Elizabeth, entering her third trimester, six months pregnant, shouting because Mary is pregnant with the Savior of the world. And Elizabeth's child, Elizabeth's child in her womb is leaping with joy. And Mary, who is praised for her faith, is filling with joy as she is filled with God. Why were they so full of joy? What was the good news of joy that came to them from the outside? Well, the Bible tells us a story, and it tells us a story that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed in perfect joy before the beginning of time. And joy, simply put, is the response to being in God's presence. And so God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit desired for this joy to expand and increase, and so God created the universe and everything in it. We already sang this this morning. All thy works of joy surround thee. Earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee. Center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain. Flowery meadow, flashing sea. Singing bird and flowing fountain. Call us to rejoice in thee. God created all things out of his joy. And at the pinnacle of his creation, he made us in his image. And he created us to be in his presence so that we might participate in the joy of our God. But rather than rejoicing in the love of our God, our first parents believed a lie and sought joy away from and apart from God. And the Bible calls this sin. And their sin is our sin. That again and again we are given the opportunity to rejoice in God to find our joy in him alone, and we are so quick to seek out joy in other places. And the Bible and human history together tell the story of humans seeking to establish their joy somewhere other than God. And they tell of the disastrous effects this has. But the Bible also tells the story of God pursuing and chasing after his people, that he might restore their joy in himself. That the God of the Bible is a God of salvation. And there are two places in the Old Testament that are littered with joy. Do you know what they are? They're the Psalms and Isaiah. In the Psalms, joy is the response to the salvation that is found in God alone. In the Psalms, God is instructing his people how to pray and how to sing in response to the work that he is doing and has done. And in Isaiah, the joy is a future joy, looking forward to the future promise of salvation that God will bring to the world through his suffering servant, through Jesus. And here in our passage, that joy comes to these women. Their joy is not something that they have manufactured on their own. It does not come from some vague superstition or the promise of another self-help attempt. But at this moment... Mary's womb is brought into focus as the precise location of God's salvation. 
and they erupt into joy. So where does joy come from? It comes to us from the outside. And how do we get it? Well, joy enters the humble. Mary's response to Elizabeth's joy is to burst into her own song. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And at the thematic center of this song are these two sets of reversals. The proud are cast down, the humble are lifted up, and the hungry are filled with good things, and the rich are sent away empty. Now this is so contrary to the ways that we think about joy. Right? In our imaginations, joy belongs to the successful. Joy belongs to the wealthy. I mean, think of our images of Christian joy. Whenever I think of Christmas joy, I can't help but think of the Norman Rockwell painting, right? Of wealthy people in warm clothes eating big meals together. But this isn't the image of joy that she's singing about. Her song is so much bigger than this. She's saying, she's singing that the salvation that God is bringing will be a salvation that rights every wrong in human history. It will be a salvation that comes to those who have no agency to get it on their own. And because of that, those in the humblest of places and those with the hungriest hearts will be those who have the greatest joy. And what place could be more humble than Mary's womb? Mary, who was a Jew, an ethnic minority on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, engaged to be married to a simple carpenter. If you want joy, you won't get it through your own strength. You cannot buy it with your riches, and if there is pride in your heart, there will be no room for joy. True joy comes to the weak. It comes to the hungry. It comes to the humble. And I think this scares us because humility feels so fragile. And like an antique vase, we're deathly afraid of being dropped. I wonder if the reason that we don't put down our pride, the reason we continue to distract ourselves from our hunger for joy, is that we know how fragile the humble place feels. And we're terrified of it. But look at the humility of Mary. Could there be a more fragile place than where the Son of God chose to dwell while he was knit together? And yet, it was in that most fragile place that God blessed her among all women. And of course, the most humble place, the most fragile place was not Mary's womb, but on Calvary's cross. For it's there that Jesus took the most humble place. It's there that he took the most fragile place. But he wasn't dropped. He was crushed for our joy. Where does joy come from? It comes to us from the outside. How do we get it? Joy enters the humble. And what is this joy? This joy is Jesus. Mary is rejoicing, not at some vague religious platitude, but because God himself is present in her womb. The unrivaled joy that comes to us in the gospel is not an idea, it's not a technique, it's not a new set of circumstances, it's a person, and his name is Jesus. The gospels record Jesus' life, and it's amazing that to a person, his presence has this polarizing effect. To the proud and the powerful, Jesus is an obstacle. But to the humble and to the hungry, Jesus is the bringer of unrivaled joy. Because in Jesus, 
God has entered into the world to deliver us into his joy. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has purchased and secured an eternal joy for his people. Last night, my wife, Mary Clark, and I were talking about how sad the Christmas season has become for us. Um, and it's because as we talk about the happiness and joy of Christmas, we're reminded of the deep sorrow that marks our lives and the lives of our friends and family. Um, this past year has been a terribly sad year for my family. Eleven months ago, uh, my sister's husband uh, died suddenly and tragically. And I remember as I heard the news, the, the chasm of, of grief that opened up under me. My brother-in-law, Andrew, had become a good friend. He became a brother whom I loved. Um, and in this past year, I have known Jesus in my sadness. And in that, I have experienced a d deep intimacy with God in my grief. And as I saw my sadness through Jesus' cross, it became less about God joining me in my sorrows. And I began to learn the truth that as I submitted my sadness to Jesus... I was joining him in his sorrow over the world, his sorrow over my family. I was moved from asking, where is God in this, to asking, where am I in this? Because I knew where God was. His heart was broken. His son had hung on a cross for this. And I think I expected this sadness to tamper with my joy. That through this, I would learn that the joy of Jesus was just as fragile as the joys that the world offers me. But instead of my joy diminishing, I think it actually grew. That's because God is in the places where we don't think he's supposed to be. In the sadness of our own lives, in the womb of a virgin, on the cross of Christ. And it's as we submit our real sorrows of this life to Jesus the one who was in the womb, the one who was on the cross. It's as we submit the real sorrows of our lives to him that we receive the real joys of his resurrection. Or to say this another way, the world offers us hundreds of different stories for us to submit our lives to. The stories I mentioned earlier in movies are just an example of this. And as we try on these stories, we're longing for the joy that they promise and this is a joy that we think needs to be manufactured in our own hearts. And a joy that we think only comes as we fight for it with pride. But the true joy that we long for, the joy experienced by Mary, the joy of Jesus, comes to us from the outside and it enters the humble. There's a student at Wake Forest that I've gotten to know. Um, we'll call him T. Um, T is a sophomore from Manhattan. He came to Wake as an atheist from a secular household. But last spring, some guys in RUF started inviting them into, his, into their lives, started including him in things. And he began to see a group of people with real joy living their lives out of the story of Jesus. And he came with us to summer conference in May. And RUF summer conference is a week at the beach where we spend our morning um, in seminars led by pastors um, and we spend the afternoon on the beach playing and resting together. And we could not find T in the afternoons. We didn't know where he'd gone. Um, and someone found him and asked him what he'd been doing, and it turns out that he had been retreating to his room and rereading the Bible and everything he learned in the seminars. 
this, could this be true? Um, that week, I watched this young man come to joy. Um, he, went from, he went from a reserved, brooding introvert to a peaceful, joyful introvert. He stayed an introvert. <laughs> and now, six months later, um, he calls himself a Christian. The joyful community of God's people living their lives in submission to the true story of joy was so beautiful that T was compelled to check it out. And that same Jesus who entered Mary's womb 2,000 years ago and brought her joy, that same Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, has entered T's heart, connected him to the story of God's salvation, and has given him real joy. And along with Mary, he is able to say, God has done great things for me. May this joy, the joy that comes from knowing that God sent Jesus for us, may this joy mark us as we wait for Christ's return. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the God of all joy and that this joy you give to us graciously and freely because you love us. Would you help us to submit our lives um, to you and to receive the joy that you alone give us. We pray this for your glory and for our joy. In Christ's name, amen.